welcome to Snippet Sports Science Podcast. This is Jared Coleman-Stark, today interviewing Dr. Adam Story. Since 2008, Adam has coached and managed various New Zealand weightlifting teams at key pinnacle events, including the 2012 and 2016 Olympic Games and the 2010 and 2014 Commonwealth Games. During this time, Adam has coached weightlifters to Commonwealth Games medals and his athletes have broken over 250 New Zealand records in competition. Adam's specialist background in the area of strength and power conditioning led to his role with the High Performance Sport New Zealand as the lead strength and conditioning specialist for Athletics New Zealand. In this position, he worked directly with three-time Olympic Games medalist Valerie Adams. Adam has a keen passion for rugby, and he is currently employed by the Blues Super Rugby franchise as a sports science manager and assistant trainer. In addition to his role with the Blues, Adam is a research fellow within AUT's Sprints department, where he supervises postgraduate research in the areas of strength and conditioning and exercise physiology. This will be a two-part interview. In part one, we'll discuss the application of heat for resistance training and recovery from contact sport. In part two, we'll discuss how to apply heating in different environments, such as in chambers or heated gyms. We'll also discuss genomics, flow, and mindset. How are you doing, Adam? Good, thank you. So what would you like to talk about today? Uh, I think we'll keep it pretty open and uh, have a discussion around, I guess, all things resistance training, a bit of heat, heat stuff, um, I guess some random topics that are sort of rattling around in the back of my head at the moment in terms of how we can make people uh, just better athletes or better people. Cool, let's get into it. I guess the overall heat application is it still fascinates the hell out of me, but um, sort of moving into the localised heat stuff, that's going to be quite fascinating as well, like um, obviously targeting that for a... Know, there's clinical purposes as well, like coming back from injury, you can just hopefully restore atrophy in a yes. faster manner. Yeah. Um, but then again, you know, we with that PhD, we haven't fully, um, you know, teased out all the the designs for the entire project. But you know, there could be a potential priming study in there as well. Yeah. You know, one thing if we do look for that localized as a primer, I think we'll be looking at things like you know enhanced nerve conduction velocity, those, those types yeah. of measures. And yeah. um, I know like UK British cycling, they were using like those, those hot pants or heated pants as, as part of their yep. their warm up for the, the track cyclists. And actually, had a master's project that was lined up to do a similar thing, but a netball. So trying to see if you could get that same effect in a team sport environment where it's um, not as controlled. Like you don't know when your start time is going to be. You don't know when your maximum effort is going to be right. within a team sport. But right. you know whether the application of something like hot pants um, would be would be beneficial to a to an athlete that's doing a hell of a lot of repeated jump efforts and, and things like that within their, yeah. their sport. So, yeah. but you know, I mean, just trying to understand, um, you know, the mechanisms of things is, is always something that that I want to get my head around. So I mean, it's right. it's so hence the reason you know we've done the stuff in the practical setting with the heat and performance, but now with the localized. Um, Heat study, you know, we'll be able to look at some of the molecular changes that are happening and which yeah. which pathways are regulated, which are downregulated, and uh, yeah, that'd be brilliant. Yeah, we've, we've we've sort of achieved the point where we know it works. Yep. At this point, heat training is, is now getting that tick of establishment. Yep. That there's enough evidence across several different groups mm. that yes, this does work. It does make people move faster. Um, and then we're drawing from those sprint mechanistic studies yep. and saying that the nerve conduction velocity and those sorts of things, and then we'll see if, if it's the same mm. in the actual resistance training mm. as in the sprinting. Yeah, yeah, and I guess the other thing that really fascinates the hell out of me, like um, now being involved in, in rugby environments, is the potential protective effect that it has. You know, yep. and there's um, in animal models. You know, when they've <clears throat> put these animals in, in saunas or um, 
little spars, little jacuzzis for quite extensive periods of time, but 48 hours before, quite damaging exercise protocols. Um, those rats have been sweet, yep. you know, in terms yep. of their damage markers and things like that. So, again, you're looking at a, at a contact sport environment, you know, rugby players, could that be yeah. something that we can bring in? You know, you go to a, a sauna or a spa-based intervention day before, you know, captain's run um, of a massive match, and will we see their ability to recover post-match greatly enhanced? Yes. Yeah. I think it's, it's crazy. It's yeah. crazy cool exciting. Yeah, I remember one time we were looking at um, trying to look at the difference in uh, muscle damage between mm-hmm. lifting versus impact yep. in an impact sport. Yep. And we were trying to design something that could actually get through ethics. Yeah. But yeah, how do you yeah, apply yeah, impact yeah, yeah. in a controlled manner yep. to an athlete that's, yep. that's, that would get past ethics? Oh, it's yeah. like, I don't think we could do it. Well, I know. <laughs> it's, I'm uh, examining or reviewing a, a PhD proposal that's um, going through AUT at the moment for a, a massive concussion study. How do you control applying a concussion yeah, to an yeah, athlete? You can't. Yeah, you, you're brain damaging people. Um, <laughs> it's crazy. You know, I, was just, I said to my wife, like joking, I said, oh, you know, if this was in the 60s or 70s, I'm sure like, the Soviets would have <laughs> uh, done the study and then they would have elicited a controlled concussion across the participants, you know, like with a big yep. 20 kilos weight yep. that was like, a pendulum or something, and yep. uh, they would have paid them a couple of rubles. And, Yep. That's your study. So, you know, but, uh, incredible. Yeah. yeah, now it's just sort of opportunistic. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And then still the athletes still need medical care rendered to them mm. before you could do any study intervention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But then it's that's, a bit yeah, that's tricky. I mean, I've seen some papers where they've um, created a, a almost like a metabolic type circuit which is meant to simulate the demands of a game and it's... Um, there are elements of contact in it, but you know when right. you when you sideline on these Super Rugby games and you see 120 kilo guys going into each other at full right. velocity, right. you can't replicate that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think impact is really undervalued in yep. um, in sport. So I've, so I've started kiteboarding now. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I yep. so now I have an impact sport. Yep. I didn't I didn't I haven't really done any impact mm-hmm. sport before that, mm. and I've just been you know you get smacked around. So much, yeah, and uh, and I really realized that I need to be preparing differently yep. in my training to be preparing for this impact. It's completely different. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to be prepared for impact just by squatting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not yeah. sufficient. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, so that's, that's very interesting. Very good, good comment, and that's uh, again something that I've really come to appreciate again working in that rugby environment is you know with our our players that are coming back from injury, it's um, it's so multifaceted. Like you don't. We're not just focused on making sure that their condition is, is match ready and that they're strong enough, they're fit enough, they're fast enough. We then also have to periodise in their, condi- uh, their contact. So they'll go through periods of, we'll get other players that are in a similar vein and we'll be, um, again, sort of monitoring the amount of contact that, that they're getting in training with the hope that we can steadily build their, their yeah. sort of contact yeah. resilience. Periodise the contact. In the yeah, 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 yeah. And, and we, um, at this point in time, we're, we're doing that relatively anecdotally, like we know what's worked with other players in the past, but again, that would be, I reckon, a pretty cool, hard to do, but pretty yeah. cool research interventions. How do you properly periodise like physical contact, right? Yeah, like body impact. Right. To get someone I, mean, ready it, for I think it absolutely sport. should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if anything, it should be more periodized yeah. than traditional training yeah. load. You know. Yeah. And so, but then, it's the matter of control of we we can't really rate 
um, no, it's a, an it's impact. A, it's a doozy of a question. It's, yeah, because I mean the whole thing, the whole thing you look at, it, it's just another form of re- repeated bout effect. You know, that right. these individuals get smashed. If I got smashed to that extent, I'd be paraplegic for six months. Absolutely. You know, whereas these guys yeah. come back two days later. Absolutely. Give me more. Yeah. Is that somewhere where you think maybe the subjective RP methodology would yeah, come yeah, yeah, play? Yeah, 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 potentially. Potentially. I can't get my head around the study design yet, but I think there's massive application. I mean, there's so many, obviously, contact yeah. sports in the world. Yeah. Everyone's coming back from some form of injury and just having a proper periodization method for impact would be quite a cool one. Yeah, yeah I guess even reading this, this PhD proposal, you know, it's... Um, in the previous literature, looking at different interventions that again provide that protective mechanism, and, and creatine is, is one one yep. method that you know, and it's it's a lot of people don't realise that they think creatine supplementation is only working working at the level of skeletal muscle, but um, everything what it does neurologically, yeah. it, it's it's crazy, it's incredible, and uh, made me think I need to revisit creatine literature. You know, it's it's pretty vast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, that's yeah. the thing. It's, um, but again, if we if we can prime athletes to have that protective mechanism yeah. for their given sport, you know, it's yeah. yeah. Well, you got to imagine it's it's that it's that most instant extreme energy. Mm. So is coming straight off the ATP, replenishing the ADP back to ATP using yep. the creatine phosphate. Yeah, we need the creatine to be building those stocks. Yeah, and so anywhere we mm. use energy, mm. it's going to have a benefit. Yeah, like that fast, instant, extreme energy. So we think that obviously, like the most where you're actually lifting is that is what we think of automatically. Mm. But also, the brain uses so much more energy than mm. the muscle. Mm. So those neurological effects are huge. Yep. And then thinking about the impact, that's an instantaneous power, massive eccentric yep. sort of contraction that you're um, uh, attenuating mm. that that impact into you. Massive. And so, I would imagine the energy system used to Used uh, during impact, yeah, would yeah, be yeah. your creatine, yeah, yeah. Mm. So it, it does make sense that you think That's through it, but yeah. but I can't imagine anyone's looked at that. No, yeah, no. no. So it's uh, no, it's pretty cool. Did you look at much uh, sort of metabolic changes with with heat? Or have you sort of no, very little. So we didn't do any bloods. Yep. was one of our things. So we wanted an entirely non-invasive, non-harmful study. Yep. Uh, so I only have saliva measures. I only mm. have like uh, only have skin temperatures mm. uh, so I have a, a tympanic membrane temperature nice yeah. and I have a uh, six sites for skins yep. and so I so I did a little method to get the muscle temp because yep. um, I can't actually thread the thermistor into their muscle yeah but I found this uh, really cool paper with a eye disc have you heard of it yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so it's just a bit of neoprene yeah. over a skin sensor and yeah. apparently the thickness of the neoprene yeah. relates to how deep into the muscle the temperature would be really yeah so i've just got that right over the vl okay and so i've got skin thermistor <laughs> and yep. then i've got a um bit of neoprene on top of it, just a bit of wetsuit Perfect. correct thickness cut that into a little disc yeah and put that over the top and there's a, there's a whole paper on the validity of it okay. so yeah i'm like all right may as well use it at least i don't have to be threading thermistors into people's muscles yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay but i mean obviously not as good as, yeah as real muscle yeah, temp, yeah. but yeah. In terms of pros and cons, I think it massively outweighs yeah. actually doing a bit of the, the mechanical damage, yeah. stimulating it. 100%. Yeah. Because I read um, the VU a couple of weeks ago, and we were just having a chat around the study design for the, the heat study, and that's one thing that came up. 
um, you know, that FEMSTAs are... Right, right. What time are you going to take? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and some participants, they just don't notice it at all, but other participants are just screaming. And, yeah. You know, it's, and then, you, know, it's and then you end up with one N for all your other measures mm. and then a different N for your muscle temps. Mm. And sometimes, I don't know how many participants, is it general population or...? Yeah, well, that's the thing. We'll probably do a couple of designs where it will be general pop, but then once we get, um, we'll probably look to do more specific stuff, training interventions with them at yeah. better populations as well. Yeah. Um, as I said, like, whether it's more for <coughs> one study to get towards more rehabilitation settings and one's more towards performance-based stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just think heat is just such a massive area there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, it's, bas- it's basically snake oil. Mm. Uh, genuine snake oil. Yeah. It just does everything. Yeah, yeah. It, and you think about it as a as a stimulus, and it's it's similar to exercise. Yeah, I've heard it described like a poly pill. Yeah, you know, where it has it has it's one intervention mm. that has all these amazing outcomes. Mm, mm, mm. And so I think heat is very similar to exercise yep. as one of those sorts of poly pills 100%, for us yeah. to be applying to to humans. Yep. You know, it just works for humans. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, historically, you, you look back at the traditional strength and power athletes, like the Bulgarian weightlifters, apart from all the bloody steroids that they were eating yeah. 12 times a day, um, their saunering routine was, was pretty stringent. You know, there's, there's legends that, you know, those guys after training sessions, they would be sedated, or they'd go into a sauna session, like a pretty vigorous sauna session post-workout, and then they'd be sedated straight away. Um, so they could tolerate more heat. So they basically get a massive spike in their, their, their hormonal profile and then right. literally put to sleep so they're getting that double whammy, yeah. double whammy effect. Oh, afterwards. so they would sleep. Afterwards. So they would sleep. Yeah. Well, okay, so this is, actually, this is actually a yeah. little bit of, so this is a very bizarre thought that I had yeah. at one point. You now Polynesians are massive, yeah. incredibly muscular yeah, people. Yeah, I know where you're going with this. Always, yeah. yeah. Talk to me. So, uh, so I've looked at heat maps yeah. of the earth, right? Because I just look at yeah. anything temperature yeah. related, so I just all the time. And there is one place in the world yeah. where it is hotter at night than during the day, yeah. and it's Polynesia. Yeah. Yeah. And we think about our three biggest stimuli for yeah. growth hormone, number one is sleep, yeah. number two is heat, and number three is exercise. Yes, yes, I had this conversation so with people as well. When, so yeah. sleeping, yeah. while it's hotter, because yeah. that's when they would experience a heat stress, yeah. because that's the hottest part of the day for them, is at night. Yeah. So they'd be experiencing a heat stress while sleeping. Yeah. And so it would accentuate yeah. that growth hormone response while asleep. Massive. Massive. And I had this conversation with people as well. I can't believe, any, I can't yes. believe anyone else has ever thought of this. And, uh, you know, people say, oh, you know, the, the Polynesian diet is tar. It's not the tar that's making these people that big, that yep. strong. Yep. And and same thing, I've, I've, I've said that about other countries as well. You know, you look at... Um, Everyone likes starch. Yeah. Everyone has a root plant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, taro is amazing, but yeah. it's not the only thing it's out there. It's not some secret thing that's putting yes. 30 kilos on these Yeah, guys. I mean, it is great because I mean, you got in- incredible, wonderful carbohydrates there. Yeah. Yeah. And um, as well as all the micronutrients. Yeah. It's so rich. Yeah. Like, it is, it is just about the best carbohydrate there is. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But there yeah. are other ones just as good. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And then you look at... Um, Yes, generally speaking, you know the, the physiques of you know African population, right. and 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 anyone that's come from heat, there's someone that's come from colder climates, yes. and you, you, you 
telling me there's not just a causative link there, right. that they're constantly exposed to that environment and by default like, they just happen to be more, you know, greater level of hypertrophy, greater level of strength and power. Yeah. Mm, I think there's something there. Yeah. And yeah. that when someone can come in and say, oh, but what about the other giant people in the world, Scandinavians? Yeah. They spend an hour or two in a sauna every day. Yeah. That's, they love yeah. sauna. That's how that other weightlifting group I was going to say is, is the Finnish. You, yeah. yeah, you look at it, go, go search any mm-hmm. sauna literature, it's all Finnish. Yeah. It's all Finnish literature. They yeah. love sauna. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so leading into um, sort of from mm-hmm. uh, 2008 to about 2010, we had uh, one of our coaches for the New Zealand team was um, a coach from Finland. Yep. So he's a Finnish, Finnish coach as well. So. He, he basically, you know, smashed in the whole sauna culture within our, our weightlifting uh, yeah, fraternity. Good. And um, we did a lot of training camps over in Finland as well. And yeah, all the lifters just got, you know, loved to go into the saunas pre and post yeah. training. And, and yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's just good. And I mean, particularly for, for weightlifting, I mean, we're talking about muscle mass mostly here and, yeah. and lifting velocity, mm. uh, but also the mobility effects mm. are even more proven. Yeah. So for weightlifting, yeah. that's obviously being one of the most important factors as well. Is yeah, yeah. Can you get into those deep positions, yeah. deep overhead positions? Yeah. And uh, it heats even more proven yeah. for mobility benefits as well. Yeah, no, yeah. sure, right, for sure. But yeah, that's no, interesting, yeah, that geographical uh, stimulus, yeah. Yeah, that's so cool you yeah, thought of that, yeah. yeah. Was, who do you have a chat with that about? Oh, I've just had a chat with like just a lot of people, especially leading into yeah. the Rio Olympics, like we yeah. did. Um, we set up a heated gym downstairs, uh, high performance sport in New Zealand, where basically um, the athletes weren't confined to a heat chamber. They could do full Olympic lifting sessions, yeah. full speed and acceleration sessions. Yeah. And we just got sort of talking about, um, isn't it funny how we've had to spend so much money to set up this heated gym, yet you know, these other athletes are training in heat 24-7 and just right. look at look at the performance of these athletes and it's almost as if we're trying to spend money to try and catch up to what these other athletes are getting right. just, just for free. Right. The environment right. And you go to any any powerlifting club, any CrossFit club, yeah. any most weightlifting club, yeah. they're all hot boxes. Yeah, just yeah, a big yeah. warehouse. Yeah. They've got no air conditioning, <laughs> yeah. maybe two fans <laughs> in the whole warehouse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you have to walk all the way across the warehouse to get to the one fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's crazy. And then, yeah, I mean, the, the, obviously the talk about the Polynesians and Again, we've got players within our squad who've got a very uh, little resistance training history compared to other athletes, but um, you know, it's like yeah, they could just look at a dumbbell and basically grow twenty inch arms. It's just big and yeah, strong. Yeah. yeah. Well, because uh, where I first was came up with, so I grew up mostly in Polynesia. I grew up in Hawaii, so yeah, yeah. So I've been around it quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, but I remember I was sitting down one time having a chat mm. with uh, with a couple of mates, and we were just talking generally about. Uh, body composition, muscle mass, all that sort of stuff. And yeah. I was like, oh, look, I reckon everyone should be mm-hmm. as, as like muscular and lean as, as, as a man here. And he looked at me and he said, I've never been in a gym. He was just crazy. Polynesian. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it was. That's crazy. He said he's never been, he didn't play any sports. Yeah. Nothing. That's just how he looked. <laughs> yeah. He was just massive, like twice our size. Yeah. Not a bit of fat on him. Yeah. It is incredible. Brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. And it's funny though, because you have those ideas, mm. and I mean, I don't know about you, but I kind of think, oh, I must be a crazy person. Mm. That you have to start having those conversations with other people, and you're like, does this make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it kind of does. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And it's even like, I mean, it, it seems, I don't know, talking about it, it's so obvious, and you're sort of intrigued why no one's done research on it. Like, is it? 
of me just being crazy? Like, yeah. Well, I mean, who would have? Yeah. All right. That's all for part one. Thank you, Adam. We'll leave the listeners to think about those questions for next time. Please visit our website at snippetscience.com or follow us on Twitter at Snippet Science. Thank you.